0: This is episode 90 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are When the Heat Stays On For Too Long, Heat Injuries, Benadryl as a Local Anesthetic in Survival, and How to Build a DIY Portable Solar Generator. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on prepperwebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, uh, John left me uh, a great comment over on uh, episode 89 just uh, just a little bit of feedback. Hey, appreciate what you're doing. Been listening since episode 40. Um, you know, that that's really very encouraging to me. So I really do appreciate hearing uh, back from that. He also stated that um, you know, if I opened up a Patreon account that he'd be willing to support, and you know, I I really don't want to do that. I uh, if I was providing other content, uh, maybe if I didn't have another job, if I wasn't pastoring those kinds of things, if if this was my full-time job, I could create other content and put it out there, and uh, I would feel comfortable about that. But I'm not doing that, and so I just don't want to open up a, a Patreon account just to uh, receive donations. But um you know, one of the ways that you can, if you want to support the Prepper Website podcast or Prepper Website, one of the the best ways to do that is just when you go to to Amazon, just go through our links. Um, you know, I have Amazon links on all of our pages, and so you can click on the Amazon link and go straight to Amazon and do your shopping, and uh, it doesn't cost you anything extra. It just, uh, whatever you buy, whatever you purchase, I mean, even if you, you go through the link to whatever, you know, I, have linked to, you know, a knife or whatever, and you wind up buying women's underwear. Yeah, that happens all, that happens all the time, more than you realize. Uh, if you, you know, you purchase that, I still get a little bit of a percentage off of that. And so those things, it doesn't cost you anymore. It's just, it's already built into the price. So the sellers who are on Amazon know that, that you know, it goes towards that. And uh, that's just a little blessing for me. So, I mean, if you would just do that, that would be great. Uh, that would be a, a, a huge blessing for me. And then, uh, you know, from time to time, I send out information, great deals, like uh, uh, you know, recently Preppers University, I sent that out. And uh, the Prepper Bundle, I send those kinds of things out. Things that I, I believe in. I'm not going to send out crap but, uh, things that I believe in that I think that are helpful for the preparedness community, I send those out through email and I post them and I talk about them. And, uh, you know, if you'll we'll just kind of look at them, if, if it's not something you want to buy, don't, don't buy it, don't purchase it. But, uh, a lot of the times those things are affiliates and so, I do get a little percentage off of that. But if uh you know, again, uh you know, you can do me the favor of looking at it and if it's something you want to buy, fine. If not, you know, hey, pass on it and you know, there's something else later on down the road that might be of interest to you. But anyway, I appreciate that, John, and uh, that's that's very encouraging to uh to hear that uh you know, that you're enjoying the podcast. So our first article comes to us from Beans Bullets Bandages dot And uh, the article is entitled "When the Heat Stays On for Too Long: Heat Injury." And uh, you know we're smack dab in the middle of summer, and so I think this is uh, a valid, a valid article to read right now. So let's go ahead and read it. It was a firm belief of my mother that no one ever drowned in sweat. Just in case, she taught us to swim though, and she taught us the basics of today's topic. I admit I've supplemented this. I'm sorry. I I admit I've supplemented that a bit from being a biology geek. That said, I'm still not a physician, so take this as discussion of a topic and not medical advice. Americans have gotten very used to being able to hang out in nice air-conditioned space when the heat rises. If that becomes unavailable, that's a problem. There was another article here on BBBY recently about strategies for not overheating. This one's about how to recognize when overheating has occurred and what to do about it if, if call 911 isn't a viable option. There are three stages of heat injury, each worse than the last. Basically, they are sweat too much, heat cramps, sweated way too much, heat exhaustion, and couldn't sweat enough, heat stroke. Hey, look, they even arranged themselves in alphabetical order for our convenience. The basic biology of it. We sweat to cool ourselves. In order to coax the water to the surface so it can evaporate and cool you, you lure it by pumping out ions, the things that make up salts. So when you sweat, you lose water and ions. Your brain and muscle cells work by moving ions around. So losing too many ions fouls up brain and muscle function. The water you lose comes from the blood, so if you lose too much of that, there's too little blood left and circulation flags. Heat cramps occur when you've been sweating a lot to cool yourself, and it's worked so far, yay, but you're running low on water and or ions now. That gives your muscles an itchy trigger finger, as it were, and cramps result. Diagnosing this one is not brain surgery. Ow, ow, big painful knot in my muscle and I can't move the leg right. The smart money is on cramps. The cramps are mostly likely to hit at night after a day of lots of work and sweat. Mine lie in wait until the drop in blood flow that comes with almost falling asleep. Then a slight change of position and they attack. Heat exhaustion is a similar mechanism, but strikes during the exercise. It's mostly due to the water loss. The skin gets a pale and moist. Uh, I'm sorry. The skin gets pale and moist. The heart races. The person may be dizzy and disoriented, and definitely feels weak. There's a lot of sweat. Heat cramps may co-occur. Standing up is likely to provoke faintness and tunnel vision. That's about one half breath away from passing out. For either cramps or heat exhaustion it's clear, clear you've got to replace the water and ions. I find salty foods and water more effective than sports drinks. My body seems to know this. I'm normally not a food salter but after a day of sweaty work you'd have trouble prying the salt shaker out of my hands. For heat exhaustion, the big thing is don't be stupid and try to man up or whatever and push through it. It's not a push through thing. Willpower will not trump too little blood to the brain. A seat in the shade with fashionable accessories such as wet towels on the head and uh, uh, wet towels on the head is the smart move. If you disrespect heat, ex- heat exhaustion, it can lay you out or push you into heat stroke. A heat stroke occurs when the cooling mechanisms have been insufficient and body temperature has gone dangerously high, 104 degrees Fahrenheit or more. Heart races, breathing is rapid, the skin is deeply flushed as the body tries desperately to dump the heat. The person may sweat a lot too or the skin may go dry as shutdown begins. Headache, nausea, and vomiting may accompany as signs of the physical stress. The brain is starting to malfunction like an overheated computer, so changes in mental state occur, and it ain't a change to be able to calculate cube roots in your head. Confusion, poor coordination shows up as slurred speech, agitation, delirium, seizures, and coma follow. Death is not that far behind coma, so that is not a path you want to be on. If emergency med help is available, call it. This is not something to play with. But if the person's alone, the better hope for a cloud burst, it's all about cooling. And cooling on hot conditions is all about getting out of the sun, but not the wind and getting the person wet. Wet clothes a is, is, wet cloth is, getting, uh, is great if there's a wind. Remember the battery operated fans from a previous post with the head, neck, wrist, and groin uh, being targeted points because of all the hot blood close to the surface in those places. If ice is available, now's the time. A kiddie pool full of fresh-pulled well water would be a blessing. Any diver knows that water that's even a little cooler than the body sucks heat. Water conducts heat away 25 times more efficiently than air. Besides these big three, there's one other heat-related problem that gets overlooked. Potassium depletion. Potassium is an ion. You lose it when you sweat. Not as much as you lose sodium, but some. If you're being careful about replacing salt with its sodium and chloride ions and water, it might be potassium that runs low first. Muscle weakness accompanied by tremor is the main early symptom. That's as far as it usually gets from heat injury. Kidney problems or extreme vomiting or diarrhea can mess up potassium more deeply, but that's not today's problem. The doc who takes care of my sports team gives us potassium gluconate tablets when we get the quiver. Light salt, a 50-50 mix of sodium chloride and potassium chloride can be used in place of regular table salt, including for cooking too. If you're on blood pressure drugs, ask your doctor before supplementing with potassium. Some blood pressure drugs interfere with potassium removal and you can collect too much. Once again, the best way to win is not to play. Thin and breathable, but long-sleeve shirts coupled with wide-brimmed hats keep the sun off and help sweat evaporate. Cold packs in the med kit are useful. Having water to spare and the band and that bandana that ought to be in the kit is good. All right, so uh, good information there. Um, you know, I remember when I was a Boy Scout uh there was a a, a a young boy scout who was able to see his scoutmaster started to have a a heart attack and i know it's not necessarily related but he was able to see the signs uh of of a heart attack and because he had had a basic first aid he was able and cpr he was able to start it and uh you know and work on this on this man and and they were able to get help so the uh the thing is is that you know while we're out there if you're on your own you know you need to definitely be careful but we want to know these kinds of things because if we're around people and they're, you know they start acting kind of funny you're out there in the heat and you've been out there for a while and they're sweating and and they start acting kind of funny saying stupid things and and uh, maybe slurring their words um, you know, it, it, it might seem funny at first, but then, you know, hopefully you'll go back and say, wait a minute, there might, they might be having a problem. And so going to, uh, you know, some of these things where you're getting them into the shade, you're pouring cold water on them. Uh, if you have ice packs, uh, those kinds of things, uh, you know, working, working all that kind of out. And uh, helping them out there, so I, you know it's one of those things where uh, hopefully you would know the signs so that you could help somebody else out if uh, if you were in a situation like that. So good article there at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. All right, let's go ahead and go on to our next article. Next article comes to us from two of my favorite people in the preparedness community, Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy, Joe and Amy Alton, and uh, they. Uh, their article is entitled Benadryl as a local anesthetic in survival. And so this, uh, this might be a, a game changer for some people as far as having a local anesthetic uh, in a survival situation. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this one. A major obstacle in the ability of the survival medic to deal with the issue of wound closure is the lack of an easy, easily available and stockpilable form of anesthesia. With the most popular local anesthetic, lidocaine, a prescription item, it may be difficult to obtain enough to adequately fill the need in long-term disaster scenarios. We often mention in our podcast that we learn as much, really more, from our readers and listeners than they do from us. Now, we are informed that dipohydramine or Benadryl may serve in its injectable form as a reasonable alternative alternative for local anesthesia. You won't find this information at Drugs.com or other general medical information sites. Ordinarily, you'll read that diphenhydramine, or DPH, is an antihistamine that reduces the effects of natural chemical histamines in the body. Diphenhydramine is used to treat sneezing, runny nose, itching, watery eyes, rashes, and some cold or allergy symptoms. It also serves as a remedy for motion sickness, a hypnotic or sleep inducer, and even to treat certain aspects of Parkinson's disease. Benadryl comes in oral form as well as an injectable solution. Although controversial, the injectable has been used as a local anesthetic since 1956. It has been used in minor skin, dental, and podiatric procedures, especially in those allergic to lidocaine. This comment from a pharmacist emergency medicine blog. In one validation study for its use as a dermal anesthetic, a prospective randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study was conducted to assess both the degrees of anesthesia in square millimeters and pain associated with injection in 24 subjects who received 0.5 milliliter injections of 1% DPH, 2% DPH, lidocaine and 0.9% sodium chloride placebo. Subjects who received 1% DPH achieved equivalent levels of anesthesia relative to 1% of lidocaine. In addition, 1% of DPH more effective in this outcome compared to 2% of DPH. However, subjects did experience greater perception of pain at injection with both concentrations of DPH relative to 1% lidocaine, more pain perceived with a 2% DPH, with some subjects experiencing persistent discomfort in the injected area for up to 3 days following injection. In another study evaluating other concentrations of DPH for local anesthesia, Although a concentration of 0.5 DPH was deemed similar in perception of pain by patients upon injection compared to 1% of lidocaine and a viable alternative to 1% lidocaine in maintaining local anesthesia. It was less effective than lidocaine when used for repairing minor skin lacerations in the face. In other head-to-head comparisons of 1% DPH and 1% lidocaine, similar, similar levels and depths of local anesthesia were achieved. Like all drugs, there are possible adverse effects. The use of DPH as a local anesthetic may be associated with local necrosis or tissue death at the site of injection. This usually occurs from the use of excessively high concentrations of the medication. As such, you will see it contra- contraindicated as a local anesthetic on most medical websites. At normal dosages, sedation may be noticed as well as local soreness. Be aware that it might burn as it is administered and that, it, it, that its safety is not confirmed in distal areas like fingers, toes, ears, and nose. The recipe is as follows, again from a pharmacist's blog. Steps. Draw up entire contents of vial containing 50 milligrams milliliters of dipenhydramine into the syringe. This should measure to a volume of 1 milliliter. Dilute the contents of the syringe with 4 milliliters of 0.9 sodium chloride to yield a final volume of 5 milliliters. Clearly label the contents of the syringe with the medication label as dipenhydramine 1% or 10 milligram milliliters. Usually... The appropriate effect can be achieved with two milliliters or so of the injectable Benadryl. Use as little as possible to achieve the desired effect. From the standpoint of availability, I was able to order the product as a private citizen as opposed to a physician from at least one veterinarian website. That doesn't mean that it's widely available, however. The survival medic's job is a difficult one. Searching for additional tools in the medical woodshed isn't easy, but necessary if the medic is to be effective in austere, austere, off-grid setting. Of course, in normal times, seek modern and standard medical care from qualified professionals. Some additional support from conventional medical journals for the anesthetic effect of dipenhydramine. And so there are some um, kind of bibliography there where you can go and check out uh, if you want to go do a little bit more research there. But basically, the article is saying that one percent of the and again, we're not don't get um, you know the Benadryl, the injectable Benadryl, confused with oral Benadryl. Totally two different things. Uh, there is a picture here on the on the uh, on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's website, and then of course they have links to uh, you know the blogs and, and people that they're quoting here. But uh, so one percent of the of the you know the Benadryl, the the injectable Benadryl, the dipenhydramine, uh, you know is is will uh, work in the, as an anesthesia is the same as lidocaine. The difference being that uh, you know it's going to sting a little bit more. It's going to uh, there's going to be a little bit more discomfort later on down the road, uh, just soreness and things like that. But uh, heck, I mean uh, I think anybody would be willing to accept that uh you know instead of being cut on or, or sewed up or whatever they're doing without anything at all so uh hey you know leave it to dr. Bones and nurse Amy to find uh, some other solutions out there and to share those with the preparedness community uh, definitely something that is possible and then that you know finding it at a veterinarian uh, website being able to order that as a uh, just as a regular uh you know, person not not being a physician i think that's pretty powerful uh my question would be i wonder how long uh the injectable form uh last you know if it has a an expiration date on that one um so that's that would be my only uh question there but uh, it's something good to know, something to put in the back of your your mind and maybe even if you are responsible and you are uh, responsible for the, for the, you know, you're the survival medic for your family or your community and um, you are, uh, you know, you're doing the research and you're preparing and you're stockpiling, that might be something you want to do. Alright, um, our last article, because it's Friday, the Friday podcast, I try to pull an article from the archives. And I came across this one from uh, SurvivalistPrepper.net, and uh, again, Dell and Lisa, you know, they've got a, uh, a podcast over there, the SurvivalistPrepper.net, uh, a really great podcast to listen to, uh, they do a good job of putting things together. And so what? Um, this article is entitled, How to Build a DIY Portable Solar Generator. So it, it goes into a little bit more depth as, as far as just, hey, put this and this and this, and this is what you need, and wire it this way. And so I thought this was really helpful because I think everybody should have something along this line because it's really it, it's not very expensive to put together. Um, and so if you, you start putting the pieces together and you start playing around with it a little bit, Um, I think it's something that everyone should have. So let's go ahead and and get into this one. Uh, This one you're definitely going to want to go visit. I mean, of course, all the articles you want to go visit. uh, and You want to go support the the websites that allow me to to read their articles in full. Uh, But uh, this one has a video that you can go check out and then a a lot of other links and graphics and things like that. Okay. So uh, this one, again, survivalistprepper.net, how to build a DIY portable solar generator. In a recent podcast I did with Ken from the Prepper podcast, we talked about grid down scenarios and what we can do about them. Right after the podcast, I decided to build my own DIY portable solar generator. My plans are to build a solar generator that will run my well pump in a grid down event. And while this generator does not have the power to continually run it, I have set it up to be able to scale up fairly easily. Keep in mind as you read this, I am no expert. As a matter of fact, I had very little knowledge other than solar panels collect energy, send it to the battery, and you can turn on a light. Now that I have done this, I have a better idea about watts, amps, volts, and what makes it all work together. There are quite a few articles about how electricity works, and sometimes it's too much information for my brain to absorb. Repercussions of a misspent youth, I guess. So I'm going to keep this article as simple as as possible and hopefully it all makes sense to you in the end. Don't forget to download the Power Needs Cheat Sheet at the end. It will help you figure out how much stored energy you need and use on a daily basis. If you want more information on this, you can listen to the podcast Ken and I did or you can check out a few of the podcasts Ken has done in the past about battery banks. A quick side note before we get into this. Ken will also be on the next SPTV episode talking about alternative energy. Sign up here to get updates about the show. Here is a video explaining my DIY solar generator. So again, there's a, there's a video here, a YouTube video that you can watch. Parts is parts. Minn Kota trolling motor power center. The reason I purchased this box is because it had a couple 12 volt ports already wired in and ready to go. I've seen a few videos where people add accessories but this seemed easier and I'm all about easy. A 30 amp 400 watt solar panel regulator charger controller. A charge controller keeps the battery from overcharging and there are many shapes and sizes. Like I state in the video, you don't want your solar panels to push more power than the charge controller can take. My 13 watt solar panel only puts out about 0.5 amps or 13 watts. Meaning I can and will add a couple of 100 watt solar panels. That would bring me to 4.5 amps and 13 watts, well below the rating of the solar charger. A Thunderbolt Magnum Solar 13 watt briefcase solar. Like Ken said in the podcast, start small, learn the process and then build bigger. So that's what I did. Everything I purchased for this solar generator was purchased with price in mind. I wanted to get this done for around $300. I also wanted the ability to scale up when the time came so everything else I purchased was a little bigger. These solar panels run about $80 on Harbor Freight, but I got these on eBay for $45. At .5 amps per hour in full sun, these would take about 20 days to charge my 100 amp hour battery. I wanted to make sure it worked before I spent a lot of money on solar panels. A Cobra 800 watt power inverter. Like I said, I wanted the ability to add solar panels to this generator, so I purchased an 800 watt inverter. This was a little more expensive than a smaller one, but it will run most of my small appliances and most of my power tools. Find one on Amazon here. So all of these uh, tools are, are linked on Amazon. Here is a chart that shows how many watts a typical appliance uses. So there's a a, a nice little graphic here that he has for you that you can check out. Milwaukee 150-pound capacity folding hand truck. This was about $25 at Home Depot, and I got this to make it a little easier to move around. I don't know if I will be using this to go up and down stairs or drag across the dirt because batteries should remain upright but it does help moving it around the house because the battery weighs around 75 pounds. A 100 Amp Hour Deep Cycle Marine Battery A 100 Amp Hour battery is pretty big when it comes to batteries, but you would be surprised at how quickly the energy in the battery can get used up depending on the appliance or tool being used. Example, the average laptop uses 50 watts per hour. That's almost 4 Amp Hours it takes from the battery. After 20 hours it would completely drain the battery if it wasn't being charged. That might seem like a lot but that's only 50 watts. Also keep in mind that you never want to completely drain your battery. It will decrease its lifespan. I'll explain this in more detail below. How solar charging works. Like I said I'm going to keep this as simple as possible so if you need more information follow the links above or leave a comment below and I will answer to the best of my ability. The solar panels. A solar panel collects energy from the sun. The wattage of your solar panels is how much energy you can collect from the sun. Duh, right? The reason this is important is because everything else you buy needs to be able to handle the energy the solar panel collects. You will need to decide what you want to use the solar generator for and figure out how many amp hours you will need. Download the cheat sheet to get an idea about what solar panels you need. But remember, you can always add more solar panels if your charge controller and inverter are large enough. The charge controller. I kind of explained this above but think about your future needs when you get the charge controller. My charge controller can handle 400 watts. If I plan on going over 400 watts I will need to get another charge controller. The charge controller has positive and negative leads that come from the solar panel and positive and negative leads that go out to the battery. The battery. There are many different shapes and sizes of batteries, but I'm not going to go into detail about which one to choose. I'll leave that to the experts. The main thing to keep in mind with batteries is the amp hours. My 100 amp hour battery will last 100 hours at 1 amp or 5 hours at 20 amps, etc. There is quite a bit more that goes into this, but you never want to discharge your battery 100%. My rule of thumb is 50%. I have a 100 amp battery, so I have 50 amps, amp hours. The power inverter. The power converter takes the DC current from your battery and changes it to alternating current that household appliances use. In an emergency situation, if all you had was power inverter, you could hook it up to your car battery to plug in a lamp. Not very practical, but it works. There are pure sine wave and modified sine wave converters. This is less important than the wattage of the inverter. The wattage is what you will be able to run off that inverter. If the grid goes down and you plan on running two lights, a heater, and a small refrigerator, you need to have an inverter that will handle that wattage at all all at once. Now, if uh, you've ever listened to Jack Spirka over at the Survival Podcast, and uh, Stephen Harris, who's uh, who's been over there, he's talked a lot about this, about having uh, an inverter. And, uh, you know, having an inverter is a, uh, if that's the only thing that you can buy, uh, that is, um, you know, something that, that would be valuable. So... Talk a little bit about tropical storm Sandy or Cindy. Sorry, not Sandy. Cindy that didn't do anything at least to where I'm at. I know a lot of other people are getting flooding and, and stuff like that. Um, it was almost a non-event. Um, the way that they were talking about it was uh, everybody west of I-45 was was going to be fine. And in this morning when I woke up to go outside, I, the, if if I didn't see raindrops on my truck, I would have thought that it didn't rain. But I know that other people in, in in town on the east side of 45 did get wet. And then I I was looking at some of, you know, a video on Facebook and, and things like that, that people, you know, there was flooding going on. So, uh, you know, in situations like that, if you say the power went out and you had an inverter and, you know, your car has a big, big, big gas tank, you know, big reserve. So you definitely, you know, before a big situation like that, you do want to fill up, right? So then you go and you you lose your power. You're able to somehow insulate your refrigerator. You can put, you know, uh, blankets around it and all that kind of stuff. And you can run uh, your car for maybe one to two hours is just going to be sitting idling there while you have the inverter connected to it, and then you can run an extension cord and you can run your your refrigerator for uh, you know one or two hours to keep it cold or keep it freezing and then take it off and so you can do that you know you can continue to do that so you don 't wind up losing everything in your refrigerator. Um so that's you know that's one way of doing that you could charge your cell phones you can do you know different things like that so if you don't have anything at all a a power inverter would be uh you know one of those things you want i mean i have an extra one in my in my truck um you know, that's an article that i've been wanting to do just the things that i have in the back of my truck uh but you know i have one back there just to um just in case you know um uh it, it's kind of an extra one to uh, to my supplies So uh, let me keep moving on here. Um, Confusing power conversions. All right, so now let's get into how this all works. I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible, so bear with me. This can all get a little confusing, but that's why I started small to get an idea about the process before I spent a lot of money. Important. None of these calculations factor in efficiency and loss. These are just simple equations to give you an idea of how it works. The actual figures will be different. Always error on the side of caution. I created the cheat sheet below to make it a little easier to make these calculations because my memory is not what it used to be. And there are a few calculations you need to know. All you need to remember are these three calculations. Amps equals watts divided by volts. Volts equals watts divided by amps. Watts equals volts, t- volts times amp amps. Let me say that one again. Watts equals volts times amps. Let me give you a few examples and explain how to use the cheat sheet. Example, a 20 watt bulb running for 5 hours would be 20 watts times 5 hours equals 100 watts. To figure out amp hours you take 100 watts divided by 12 volts from the battery equals 8.33 amp hours my 100 amp hour battery will be drained to 92%. That's 100 minus 8.33 if I run this 20 watt light for five hours. What if your appliance doesn't tell you watts? My air compressor doesn't tell me how many watts it uses, but it does say how many amps it uses. To figure out how many watts it uses, just remember amps times volts equals watts. Example, my small air compressor is two amps, times 110 volts the AC wall outlet that equals to 220 watts how many watt hours is that watt hours are the number of watts times number of hours so example air compressor is 220 watts times 3 hours equals 660 then divide the watts 660 divided by 12 volts equals 55 amp hours My 100 amp hour battery will be drained to 45% if I run this air compressor for 3 continuous hours. A laptop example. With items that have a power supply, you need to look at the output on the adapter. My laptop power supply is 2.3 amps and 19.5 volts. That would be 2.3 amps times 19.5 volts equals 44.85 watts. My laptop for two hours would use 90 watts, divided by 12 volts equals 7.5 amp hours. My 100 amp hour battery will be drained to 92.5% if I have my laptop on sitting idle for two continuous hours. A little confusing, that's why I created the cheat sheet. Enter the item name of everything you plan on running with the solar generator. Enter the watts used by the appliance if your appliance doesn't tell you watts. Remember watts equals volts uh, the AC times amps. I included these formulas in the cheat sheet. Enter the amps that item uses. In the US we use 110 to 120 AC. Remember amps equals watts divided by volts. Number four, AC amps will convert to DC amps by itself. Just remember that DC amps AC amps times 10 enter how many hours per day you plan on using the item the worksheet will calculate the amp hours all by itself at the bottom of the worksheet it will show you a total of amp hours needed so download the watt hour calculator so that might be very beneficial to you just in just in all of that to have that little worksheet there Uh, how much power will my solar panel produce. This one is fairly simple. My 13 watt solar panel will put out 13 watts of power an hour with maximum sunlight. I can get 7 hours of direct sunlight on a good day so I could collect 13 watts times 7 hours equals 91 watts. To get the amp hours going back into the battery, take the 91 watts divided by 12 volts equals 7.58 amp hours. On a perfect day, I can only get about 7 amp hours out of my 13 watt solar panel. That means if I use anything over 8 amp hours per day, I will be draining the battery. Like I said, I need more more solar panels. To some of you, this might still seem a little confusing. Some of you might think it's fairly simple. If you have any questions, leave a comment below and I will answer if I can If I can't, I'll point you in the right direction. Thanks. So um, there are there are uh, you know quite a bit of uh, comments there um, you know people leaving comments uh, again I think uh, you know I think it it Dell did a great job of explaining this and laying it out there for uh, for you if you're interested in creating your own solar generator again I think everyone should have one of these um, just you know there there might be a time where you want to run some fans uh, you know you might want to have some lights. If you start working off of 12 volts instead of you know using the uh, you know using um, the inverter and things like that, you can do that. Um, you definitely want to have when you're talking about you know using lights and stuff. You definitely want to have LED lights. Um, that will save you a lot uh, in that because you can get a lot more. Uh, light illumination for little watts and little amp hours and and volts and stuff so you definitely want to have led lights available to you there but uh you know having a lot of things that you know on 12 volts um i i had purchased some um there were like string of lights or one light bulb running off of a usb and, uh, I thought I saw it on Amazon, you know, I, I'll link to it. I saw it on Amazon and I thought it was very interesting because I like to have, um, those, those, uh, storage, you know, those battery chargers that have a decent amount of battery store, you know, power. So when I'm at meetings and my phone starts running, um, running low, I can charge it up. So I always have my phone is charged or if, uh, you know, my, um, if my tablet starts uh, running low, I can connect it that way. But you can start doing all kinds of stuff. You know, you can run fans off of that. Uh, I, I linked to I link to a fan that uh, a lot of people you know were very interested in uh, yesterday on on uh, Prepper website. And so these lights are, are um, it's like a, it looks like a light bulb, right? A regular light bulb, but it's LED and it connects to one of these solar, one of these battery bank chargers and you can run it off of that. I mean, it's very, it's very, very cool. And then you can also string them along. So they buy, you can buy the the ones that where you can kind of uh, stretch them along and, and spread them out. And so you can have a string of these lights to really illuminate and run them off of uh run them off of USB. So if you have a a nice size, you know, one of those that, um, you know, I have just a regular nice size one, but uh, I also have one of those that can, um, one of those battery chargers that can uh, jump a uh, a car, right? I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. Uh, totally amazed i had never seen one before a lady at work had one i thought it was a joke when she was telling me about it i said no let me go get let me go get my uh my jumper cables out of my truck and she goes no no these work and you know my all my family has them and um so i'm like all right well you know i read the instructions it was charged up we did it and her car turned i was like i was totally amazed because you know she was you know, all we were getting was clicking and when we connected it this sucker fired up and i'm like wow wow and so i got the name of it and i went went to amazon and i started looking around and i found one that i thought uh you know might be able had a little bit, bit better reviews on it and so i bought it and sure enough i've used it before and the sucker will work i can't, it's 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 mind-blowing that these little things i mean this little block uh will will jump your battery you know your car battery uh is actually a truck battery so anyway uh you know i have i have one of those as well so you think about if you're using that for a fan and for lights i mean that can that can power you know for a while and that can be very very useful but then if you have a couple of marine batteries and you're running 12 volts uh you know off of that uh you you know you can really use the, you know use that a lot you know using a laptop I know he he had it charged up you know Dell was talking about having it you know sitting idle you know really what you would do is you would just charge it up and then use the battery you know use that that battery when you're when you're using it or your tablet or whatever um, you know that's that's a, a whole nother discussion there but a very a really good article uh go go do that go check it out um, you can see the video where he walks everybody through again i I can't stress enough I think everybody should have uh sh- should have one of these uh and um you know you might want to look into the renergy solar panels those are re- you know uh, rated really really well and uh those might be so- you know something that you want to do so I'll-, I'll link to a bunch of that stuff um you know go over to, to Dell's and-, and and check out the stuff the the cobra uh inverter that he's talking about is a good one i have a cobra but uh you know some of the some of the like uh, i was saying the um the, the fan and the lights I'll, I'll link to that because I think those are those are really really useful all right so uh, again I said yesterday I can't believe that you know, it's, I'm going to be at 90 already, and it's it's just it just seems like yesterday I started the podcast, and so it's uh, it's just really cool, man, that you know we're at uh, episode 90, in two weeks we'll be at episode 100, and, um, and time is flying when you have when you're having fun. So uh, I appreciate everyone who comes by to the podcast again, and and who listens. If if you're new to the podcast and you're new to preparedness. And you're looking for more uh, preparedness information? If you go over to prepperwebsite.com, um, that's where I'm drawing all these articles from. And again, the, webs- the, the websites, the webmasters, the owners of these websites allow me; they have given me permission to read their articles in full. And so I do ask for permission before I do that. And uh, and but that's where where I'm getting them all from. So prepper website. Uh, it has so much information there. Uh, there's, there's tons of it. So if you're looking to get better prepared and you're looking for good articles, uh, this, you know, we we hand select the articles there. They're not on a feed, uh, at least on the on the, the main page. They're not like automatically on a feed that show up. Um, these are hand picked every every day. We scan tons of articles and we put up the ones that we think are the best. Um, they're m- almost I would say 95% of the articles are brand new articles that uh, people are putting out there. Sometimes someone will link to uh, another article from another website, you know, or do a little write up and kind of link to it. Uh, And it might be an older article, totally understand that. A lot of the times it's a a good article. But 95% of what we put up is new stuff that is out there. And so you're you're getting the most up to date stuff and you're getting the best of stuff. You're not having to wade through a whole bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of other Articles to get to, you know, the really, really good stuff. So go uh, go to PrepperWebsite.com and check that out. Uh, and then we also have all the other pages, you know, the DIY page, the frugal page, the alternative news page, the conspiracy galore uh, page, the shooters gallery. That has become very, very popular. People are really hitting that one. Uh, you know, everything firearms uh, and and more on that one. So uh, we have those on the top right hand corner. You can get to that. So. Uh, all right, guys. Hey, have a great weekend. Go out there and en- enjoy. Spend some time outside if you can. Get some things done. Uh, you know, Love your family. Love your kids, uh, even if they drive you nuts, right? All right, so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.